As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. You are now entering the Pseudo Archaeology Podcast, a show that uncovers what's fact, what's fake, and what's fun in the crazy world of pseudo archaeology. Hello, and welcome to the Pseudo Archaeology Podcast, episode 108. I am your host, Dr. Andrew Kinkella, and tonight we tackle the Clovis first debate, which is not really a debate. And also, what is Clovis anyway? So, why are we doing Clovis tonight? So you guys, I got to tell you, I did this YouTube video at this point, about a month ago. And I've talked about it on a previous podcast, right? I did this video making fun of Graham Hancock, right? And if you haven't seen the video, you should check it out. As of this recording, I'm recording this January 15th. It has 16,000 views. And what I think is more shocking, 887 comments. Good God. So... I think I might have touched a nerve. And I will say that the comments are overwhelmingly negative, right? They they hate your humble narrator, Dr. Andrew Kinkella. Oh, they hate him. Oh, they think he's just a fool who knows nothing. So we're a month in and I'm still getting negative comments on this, right? Just sort of the equivalent of my daily hate mail. And I thought I would respond to just one aspect. And again, the whole Graham Hancock thing is giving me, you know, months of material, right? His whole ancient apocalypse silliness. But there's one thing, one aspect that would come up every so often. And that aspect is Clovis. Graham Hancock talks about Clovis as and the idea of Clovis first, and I'll get into what all this is in a moment. He talks about it as something that archaeologists still believe. And we totally don't and haven't for decades. So it's a it's a perfect example of just using incorrect information to try and prove your point. Just stuff that's totally wrong. It's just a lie. I notice that the people who are so angry at me. What they do is they just they watch Graham Hancock or they read what he's written and they just straight up believe 
everything he says. And they judge me by his false narrative. And whenever I defend myself, they just they just don't even care. It doesn't even register. They just keep going. So first and foremost, what is Clovis? So one of the hard parts about talking about Clovis is Clovis is actually four things. Clovis is a place. There's a place in New Mexico, and we'll do a deep dive on all this in the next segment. Clovis is an artifact. It's a special spear point that comes from the time. Speaking of time, Clovis is a time period that is vaguely about 13,000 years ago. And Clovis is a culture. It refers to the group of people who lived in the new world at that time. So what's the big debate, right? The debate is basically, is this group of people, this Clovis culture that is living in the new world at about 13,000 years ago, are they the first or not, right? Is there a pre-Clovis culture or not? And in the halls of academe back in the really the 1970s and maybe into the 1980s, archaeologists would argue if Clovis was the first culture in the New World or not. Were these the people, the first people who came across the Bering Land Bridge into the New World or were there earlier ones that came before? And there was a group of academics who became referred to as the Clovis Mafia because they said that Clovis was first. These were the first people into the new world and there was nothing earlier. I don't care what you say. And I will say that they did take it a little too far. They were a little bit bullying on this kind of stuff and realized this is decades ago, right? And I love the idea of academics being bullies the Clovis Mafia. And by the way, if you don't think I want that T-shirt, you'd be wrong. I mean, imagine Clovis Mafia. You can make it look all angry, all hardcore. Clovis Mafia, right? I think you should put a really angry looking mammoth on it. I don't know. I want it. Maybe it's just my dream. I will say, though, in terms of the history of the Clovis Mafia, I started college in the early 90s, right? And I remember taking an upper division archaeology class. This must have been, this was either like, I don't know, let's say 1992, somewhere right in there. It might be a year off, but no more than that. And I remember joking about the Clovis Mafia even then. So this is 1992, right? And not just the students, the professor too, we all joked about it. We're like, ah, yeah, the Clovis Mafia and Clovis first, all that BS. Ah, dude, it's hilarious, right? So to give you an idea of real lived experience by an archaeologist, me, where I can tell you proof positive for sure that 30 years ago, we were already making light of this, right? And the reason why the Clovis Mafia ultimately fell was, of course, I don't even need to tell you, we started to find sites that were a bit older than 13,000 years. It's really that easy. And not a lot older, though. I do want to make sure you guys know this. Like, 
we start to find ones that can date pretty well to 14,000, maybe even to 15,000. Once you get to 15, it gets pretty sparse. If you ask me today, hey, Kinkella, when do you think the first people crossed the Bering Land Bridge? I would just say that in terms of the data, which we have to go by, I think you can give it somewhere around like 16 and a half thousand years ago. I'm very comfortable with that. Everything that I've seen that's older than that finds that are 20,000 years ago in that vicinity. It's possible, but I think the jury's still out, right? But that's just from, from what I've seen. 10 years from now, we, you know, I might change my mind. And again, I straight go by the data. It's fine. If somebody finds a site where it's really solid, you know, 21,000 years, I'll change, I'll change my view in an afternoon. That's fine. That's what archaeology is all about. And that's also battles against Graham Hancock constantly saying that we're somehow narrow minded. Oh, we just don't take other ideas into account. No, we just don't take his total BS ideas into account. We take new information, new good, real data into account all the time. And we're happy to change our view. I would love to see a really well dated 20,000 year old site. That would be awesome. I'm that's I'm all into that because it makes the story that much more interesting. But as of today, I'm giving you 16 and a half, give or take somewhere in there. And it just shows you that these sites, when we talk about Clovis sites, sites where you're going to find the stone tools that go with Clovis, where you're going to find evidence of that culture, or even pre-Clovis sites where you're going to have good dates in the Oh, the 14,000-year-old or 15,000-year-old realm. Those are exceedingly rare. They're super rare. That data, those sites are extra, extra precious because they do not come up every day far from it. And I would say that the question of the peopling of the new world, right? How and when human beings first got here to North and South America is the single hardest question in all of archaeology. That's where I'm going with that. I've probably said it somewhere before, possibly even on this podcast, but I just, I find it to be true. It is so very, very difficult. So of course, a shyster like Graham Hancock, it's a perfect playground when you have very thin real data. Anyways, you can make up all kinds of stupid stories and it's hard to, fight back, right? Except to go, you have no data and that's moronic. So for me, what really did in the Clovis first mafia, I think was the site of Monteverde, which is dated to around 14,000. I think it might even be 14,000 and change. Let's say 14,500 Monteverde. But what makes this extra special is Monteverde is in Chile and not just in Chile, it's in the very bottom portion of Chile, which means it's at the bottom portion of South America. So if people cross the Bering Land Bridge, they're going to need some time to get from Alaska all the way down to the bottom of Chile. And it was that site that really brought the whole Clovis First thing to a head. You know, the Clovis First Mafia was really unfair towards the archaeologists who were dating that site. They were just sort of denying it and making them go through really hoops that were really 
not appropriate, right? Where if it was any other site, they would have accepted the data long ago, but they just you know, kind of went on and on. So that happened in the 90s. But the Clovis First Mafia was largely done in before that, right? They were sort of, they were the lesser group in archaeology for a long time even then. So I just wanted to set this up, you guys, showing you that in real archaeology, in my real lived experience, you know, that, that while the idea of Clovis and Clovis culture and that it dates to 13,000 years ago is absolutely appropriate and true and factual. The idea that archaeologists still believe that Clovis culture was the first into the new world is just not true anymore and hasn't been true for decades. When we return, what is Clovis specifically? Welcome back to the Pseudo Archaeology Podcast, episode 108. And we have been talking about Clovis. What is Clovis? And I do think that part of the problem here, again, is the word Clovis. First, it's kind of weird, right? It's very memorable in a way. When you hear Clovis, you're like, oh, what's that? You know, because it it doesn't seem to be used often in everyday speech. But that it refers to four different things. As I said previously, it refers to a geographical place. It refers to an artifact type. It refers to a time period and it refers to a culture. So let's talk about the specifics of that. What, what are all those things? So first, the place itself is Clovis, New Mexico. Okay, so there's there's an actual spot in New Mexico, right? Town of Clovis. There is also a Clovis in California, which can mess you up. It did take me years before I realized, oh, wait, they're talking about the one in New Mexico. Oh, okay, right. Me as a California resident. So that location itself. So if you're saying, where is Clovis? In terms of archaeology, we're talking about the place in New Mexico. Now, why is that place important? It's because... In the early 1930s, that's where they found a very specific artifact called a Clovis point. So the Clovis point is a stone spear point. And the way they actually look, it's pretty cliche. And my meaning of that is if you think of a spear point in your mind, that's pretty much what it looks like. I would say it's not overly ornate. Like it, it doesn't have like a expanding stem at the base or a bunch of barbs on it or something. It's a very simply crafted point. They're pretty big since they're a spear point. They're going to be the end of a spear that you hold to stab something with. Like a mammoth. And... In terms of size, you know, ooh, three or four inches long, that kind of thing, although they do vary in size, but they're bigger rather than smaller. And what makes Clovis Clovis in terms of the artifact is not just that it's a spear point, but it's really how the base is formed. Now, the base is the part that is stuck into the stick, right? The opposite side from the point. And the base on Clovis points are thinned. So they're made thinner in order to halved easier in order to shove into the middle of the stick easier and then you kind of lash it on 
And the way it's thinned is by taking a flake out of either side at the bottom. So when the craftsman who had to be really, really good at making stone tools to make a Clovis points, because Clovis points, they look great. They're really fine. Even though they're simple, they're very finely made. And by fine, I mean, the projectile point itself is thin, you know, with a, and they're obviously a biface, meaning they're worked on both sides and they're sharp all along the edge from the point all the way down. And it's the process of thinning to make it nice and thin, sort of wide, but thin. That's really tough when making stone tools. So after they did that with their last couple wax, they would go to the base and chunk out a flake on both sides, which would drastically narrow the base and make it easier to have. And so when you see them archaeologically, they're super obvious. When you see what we call a fluted base, when you see those bases, you're like, oh, there's Clovis. And the reason why this artifact was so important is it was found in the same area as mammoths. And so in the 1930s, this is huge, right? So this is really, really old for the 1930s. Now, the dating methods in the 1930s are obviously not nearly as good as they are today. But this is one of the big finds that starts to prove to American culture that like, no, the native cultures have been here for a really long time, not just a couple hundred years, thousands and thousands of years. So Clovis, in terms of the discovery, is just a, a really important turning point in not just archaeology, but the idea of the depth and importance of native cultures. So in terms of the date, we currently date Clovis, and I here plus or minus 100 years kind of thing, to about 13,100 years ago to 12,800 years ago. Give or take. So that's you know about 13,000 years ago. Notice how narrow it is. 300 years or so in archaeology, that is just a gift because it dates your site so well. So if you find Clovis culture, you're like, well, 13,000 years old, you know, give or take just a few hundred years. That's great because for the most part, when you're looking at other artifacts, they're usually made for hundreds, if not thousands of years. So if you find other styles of artifacts, you they don't date your site nearly as well. You can be like, ah, oh, this is somewhere between 4,000 and 1,000 years old, you know, something like that. But this is really, really specific and really, really old for things found in the new world, right? It's about as old as you can get, just about. The area in Clovis where this stuff was found is called Blackwater Draw. I love the name of that place, Blackwater Draw. That is a romantic name, like it or not, you know. I lost my life in Blackwater Draw, right? Got that ring to it. So that's where, that's where these first finds were made. Now, after the 1930s, there was a decent amount of, of Clovis artifacts, specifically Clovis points and, and so on, found throughout the northern hemisphere and even down into, I know one or two have been found in Central America and maybe even into South America. It definitely peters out. And I will say that Clovis artifacts are found much more commonly 
kind of east of the Rockies, right? We find it much more rarely in the West, although it is around, but it's a lot less. You can really see the difference. A lot of these early Clovis sites are seem to be east side of the continent. Now, this time period of 13,000 years ago, or you could say, you know, 11,000 BC, if you want, this is the time that we call kind of the culture of the mammoth hunters, right? This is the time of the end of the last ice age. It's different from today. A couple degrees cooler than it is today, right? It is a time of the megafauna. Now, they don't have much time left on this earth, but this is a time of woolly mammoth, giant sloth, which is my personal favorite, bison antiquus, which is the extinct form of this larger bison. You guys know the the Ice Age creatures, right? And if you don't, I recommend the movie The Ice Age, right? The, the cartoon, it gives you a good idea of what was around. So again, it's a different world at that time. And the culture that is often labeled things like the mammoth hunters, you know, and this kind of thing of that time would have been informed, of course, on this kind of environment and been able to deal with it in a very reasonable manner. So I do want to say that while we call this time the time of the mammoth hunters, that makes great copy. But of course, the people from this time would have hunted other things. They would have gathered food in other ways. Their culture would have been more dynamic than just simply calling them mammoth hunters, right? They would have done many other things as well. But it is that different world, you know? And then shortly after this, the Ice Age is going to end. And when you find other cultures in the new world that are a bit newer, they are operating in an environment that's much more similar to what we experience today. So Clovis culture did have a different experience for a colder world. So ultimately, there, there you go, right? We've gone over the place, the artifact, time period, and the culture of 13,000 years ago. And finally, for this segment, I also wanted to just touch on why something so specific like a Clovis point is so good for dating. I know I touched on that for just a minute, but imagine if we were 5,000 years in the future and we were archaeologists digging and we found modern culture, the culture of today, right? Think about certain artifacts from today that would help you with dating. Again, these are things that didn't exist. And then we made, they became really popular. Everyone used them and then they were gone. One of my favorite examples for this are CDs, right? Music CDs. Nobody had those until the like the latest 1980s, right? Um, maybe mid 1980s if you were a rich person. Most of us got them in the early 90s, you know, and then had them throughout the 90s and maybe into the early 2000s. And then by around, oh, I don't know what, 2010, 20, definitely by 2015, but I'm even stretching a little. But they were pretty much gone. You can still buy them today, but the numbers are tiny. So if you're an archaeologist, 5,000 years in the future, and you find a CD, you're like, yes, 
I can date this area sometime between 1985 and 2010, you know, and most likely it's somewhere between 1990 and 2000. You see how that works? So we as archaeologists love finding or love, love knowing, you know, these certain artifacts that we can then find and really help ourselves with dating. Now, you see, that doesn't need carbon-14 or anything. We may have used carbon-14 in the past to make sure the date is actually correct. But once you have it, you just find the artifact and you're good to go. So the Clovis point works in that same way. I do want to make sure you guys know it is exceedingly rare to find a Clovis point. The number of Clovis points I've found in my career is zero. The number of Clovis points my friends have found is zero. I do know one or two that have been found around kind of in the last, I don't know, 20 years of my career or whatever. One of which was very, very shaky, shaky. Right. So these are these are our rare finds. And in terms of dating pre-Clovis, as I said before, these sites are just coming up more and more. And we also have even here in in California and on the West Coast, we have some early stuff that really seems to give credence to the what's called the kelp highway, which means that maybe the earliest peoples really went kind of beach to beach to beach from Asia in the very north across the Bering Land Bridge and then down, not through the interior so much, but along the beaches. So we find really pre-Clovis, you know, kind of kind of dates in in some of these locations. And the idea that a lot of those sites may be, in fact, underwater, because, of course, at Clovis times, you have the ice, the ends of the Ice Age and the modern sea level is probably about 300 feet above what it was like 13,000 years ago, you know. So unfortunately, many of those sites are likely underwater. But in the future, hopefully, we will find some of those when we come back. What to think and what to do about Clovis. Welcome back to the Pseudo-Archaeology Podcast, episode 108. And we have been discussing Clovis and Clovis first and what is Clovis anyway. So what do I think about Clovis? Um, <laughs> I love Clovis. I always thought Clovis, just like terms like Blackwater Draw, I always thought Clovis had a real romance to it. I was always into it. I always into learning about Clovis culture, peopling of the new world, just because it's so it's fascinating and so difficult. So rare, right, to find these kind of sites. I find that for myself that sometimes I even forget the actual date of Clovis because if you get into the real nitty gritty in terms of carbon-14 dating, you have the dates that are uncorrected versus corrected dates. And that gets really into, again, the nitty gritty of carbon-14 dating, which we don't need to go into today. But the corrected dates are, you know, 13,000 years ago. And sometimes I have to say to myself, like, dude, Kinkella, it's 13,000 years ago, because sometimes I forget. I'll think 11,000 because it's 11,000 BC, right? So that Clovis point 13,000 years ago. And I, I think that sometimes people forget too, and they forget the, the precise aspect of that. And again, a lot of the 
confusion comes in because the word Clovis means so many things. So as we talk about Clovis, we have to note, oh, this is the aspect I'm talking about. I'm talking about the point, you know. No, no, I'm actually I'm talking about the dating. So that that's a part that kind of makes it it difficult. But in terms of did Clovis happen or not, or is Clovis a thing? Of course it is. Of course it did. It's a fantastic, interesting thing that we've known about for the better part of 100 years. And we refine it as the decades go on. Yes, in the 70s and into the 80s, there were a handful of people who got way too into it and formed their own mafia, which is, you know, hard to do. Good on them. But was ultimately disproven and we move on as good science does. Speaking of good science, it's exactly what Graham Hancock and those like him in the pseudo archaeology world don't do. And what I was thinking about, like, OK, what what specifically does the pseudo archaeology crowd do to ruin our precious Clovis? Right. And they do two things. The first thing is cherry picking. And the idea of cherry picking is using only the little bits of data that are beneficial to you and leaving out all the rest, right? People like Graham Hancock are pros at this stuff. And, and they just double down on their same foolishness and they know better, right? It is done in absolute bad faith. Although since we're heroes of our own stories, I, I have no idea. Graham Hancock probably believes all his BS at this point. He's been shilling it for 30 years. So... How do you cherry pick? How does how does the pseudo archaeology crowd cherry pick Clovis? What you're going to do is be like, well, there was this Clovis mafia that bullied other science scientists. Right. And with the idea that the Clovis mafia is just still around. Right. Not not telling you, oh, by the way, nobody believes that anymore in the archaeology community. Right. Not filling that part in. But you cherry pick. You go there was a Clovis mafia and then you cherry pick. There is this thing called Clovis and you cherry pick. It's about 13,000 years old. Right. And then you sell it. Well, archaeologists believe that Clovis at 13,000 years old is the earliest dates for human history in the new world. 100% wrong. 100% duplicitous, 100% untrue, and just absolutely acting in good faith. Because the rest of that story is, and they haven't believed that for 30 years. They've actually done new work that refutes that. Just about any archaeologist you could ask will instantly say, oh, 15,000 years, 20,000 years, or something like that. But... If you're making your own fake story, I'm showing you how to do it. You cherry pick. You just take a couple bits that work for you. And and in that way, you tell you tell the current story wrongly just to help yourself. And then you just double down. And this is exactly to bring it back to the top of this. What all the angry comments on my YouTube channel do. They just sit on the, the Clovis first thing and they tell me I believe that. It's one of the most aggravating parts of the whole thing. And then I go, no, I don't believe that. Archaeologists of today don't believe that. That's a long and ancient thrown away idea. But that's how science works. We build on the past. No, they'll just pause it at 1975, you know, for their own needs. So duplicitous, dude. 
And speaking of that, the other thing they do that wraps into this is gaslighting. Now, I hate the term gaslighting because it's overused horrendously in modern culture. So I wanted to make sure I used it right. And in this case, Graham Hancock and those like him are gaslighting the public. It does count. It's a real one. Gaslighting is to grossly mislead others for your own advantage. Now, there's there are other definitions that get more specifically into the psychology of it and stuff. But that's what you're doing, right? You're grossly misleading. And in this case, pseudo-archaeologists are grossly misleading the public for their own advantage. Of course they are. And this is an exact great example of gaslighting, saying this is what archaeologists believe. And I think that's what drives me so nuts about those comments. It's not that people believe something that's wrong. It's that they actively tell me I believe it too, you know, and I just don't. And it's absolutely untrue. Saying archaeologists believe Clovis first. That is a gaslighting phrase to the public because they don't. But Graham Hancock is using it for his own advantage, right? For his own dumbass wrong story that is just I'm you guys it's it's so funny I try I always want to help with this stuff you know but I get so tired of like responding to the same thing I've literally had I I told you at the top of this 887 comments good lord and of 887 of those about 850 are angry and then there's like 27 people who get the joke and laugh along with me. So it's it's funny. Sometimes it, it feels like, ooh, Kinkella, are you taking this too seriously? But I'm kind of not, you know, because this just absolute BS lies just covers up the truth of modern archaeology and the truth of what people should know. And even the truth of the history is fine. You know, like, hey, in the 1970s, archaeologists thought this. But today we think this, you know, and it's based on good data and facts, not just magical thinking and storytelling. And more than anything, it just covers up the magnificence of Clovis. You know, this this idea of people who lived 13,000 years ago in the New World where Yes, they did many other things besides hunting mammoths, but sometimes they hunted mammoths. They lived with giant sloths. Can you imagine living in a world where there could be a sloth the better part of 20 feet tall with super sharp claws and super sharp teeth? Terrifying, yet amazing. What a different, interesting world. It's always fun to learn the facts of. And with that, I'll see you guys next time. Thanks for listening to the Pseudo Archaeology Podcast. Please like and subscribe wherever you like and subscribe. And if you have questions for me, Dr. Andrew Kinkella, feel free to reach out using the links below or go to my YouTube channel, Kinkella Teaches Archaeology. See you guys next time. This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV traveling the United States, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, 
Dig Tech LLC, Cultural Media, and the Archaeology Podcast Network, and was edited by Rachel Roden. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.